You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, the only place where drums are replaced by boots and cats. At the top of the hour this hour, she sings and so can you. It's hard to believe that it's been only five years that the Women's Acapella Association has been putting on She Sings, as it's become a fixture of the acapella calendar. This year's festival is coming up in Berkeley, California at the Freight and Salvage from March 3rd through 5th. Although a key focus of the festival is celebrating and empowering women's acapella, all gender identities and ages are welcome to enjoy the workshops, concerts, and other performances. Plus, the CD release party for the Women's Acapella Association's latest compilation album will be there, too. Check out all the details at womensacapella.org. Two P's, two L's. Hello, Acaville fans. Welcome to Acapella, Acaville Radio's weekly radio show. I'm your host, as always, John Lampus, and today I am joined by one of my best buds and a former roommate and a former acapella group member and former on and on and on, uh, my good buddy, Greg Starr. Greg, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's great to be on again, John. (laughs) Dude, yes. So last time Greg was on, we talked a bit about big groups versus small groups, big schools versus small schools in regards to rehearsals and groups and all that stuff. But what we're going to do today is talk about arranging. And we've had episodes about arranging before on Tacapella, but Greg has a very unique way of doing it, as do everyone else who arranges. And Greg and I have done arrangements together, and we've reworked songs together. And his approach is one that I really want to dig into more. So Greg, uh, before we start talking about all the fun ins and outs of making some cool music, can you just tell listeners a bit about yourself who might not have heard uh, you on the previous episode you were on? Just yourself, acapella history and whatnot. Um, Well, I have a pretty extensive history with acapella. Pretty much I joined my first acapella group at UW when I was a freshman, Mm -hmm. which is longer ago than I'd like to admit right now. (laughs) I was in that group for three and a half years, and I did several arrangements um, a year for that group. And uh, most of them were performed at one point or another. And then I was also in an acapella group during my um, time as a master's degree student at UPS, uh, the Timberman. (laughs) For a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And they also performed some of my arrangements. And other than that, I've also been very involved with um, other types of musical groups like choirs. And I'm also a music educator. And that's pretty much the gist of my acapella experience. We did a lot of Greg's arrangements in Timberman, and we looked at a bunch of them. And Greg and I worked on a bunch of arrangements together. So Greg, your arranging process, give us the like quick overview just the, the a really blanket statement and then we'll dive in um well the simplest way to describe my process is i pick a song that i think will work for the group i'm arranging for or the group mm-hmm. that i might have in mind yeah and then i sort of try and translate um, what i'm hearing in the original into um an acapella arrangement you know basically through the process of identifying uh, melodies and chords and think about what I might want to change up, you know, to make the chords sound a bit cooler, jazzier, depending on the arrangement. Mm-hmm. And then I decide, you know, what I want the relationship between the melody and the uh, background parts to be, what, you know, whether I want there to be sort of a prominent soloist or, you know, just basically a melody with harmony singing along at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I also decide on 
various syllables I want other groups to be singing. Yeah. That's that's the gist of the process. Yeah, and I think that's pretty similar for a lot of people. I know for me, when I just like hear a new song on the radio, there are a lot of, or just, you know, my friends show me something or whatever. I'm always trying to hear like, could this work acapella? And for me, um, I'm always listening for, Honestly, a lot of the times I kind of listen for not the things that would work really well in acapella arrangement, but the things like I know won't translate. Like I've seen groups try and do like, you know, giant killer rock songs with like five or six people. And that and that's Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, God, I just, <laughs> oh, you know, it's no, but stuff like that stuff that's either super electronic, um, which is really hard to do. But I have seen it done successfully. Things that there are like, I think there are just a couple things that acapella Unless you have very specific, like a very specific uh, soundscape and soundstage and members and whatnot, I think they're very hard to do. So I think the things I listen for when I am saying, oh, could this piece work acapella is, okay, can, like I said, can the instrumentation work in an acapella setting? The song Honey Bee by Steam Powered Giraffe, which, you know, it's, it's just got a cool arpeggiated guitar part a lot of the way through that opens it. And there's also tons of background harmonies that go along really well with the melody and a lot of the flavor of that piece is in its use of harmony and like uh subverting your standard idea of like a quote-unquote pop song stuff like that so i heard that and i was like oh this is perfect for this kind of thing but yes yeah, something like bohemian rhapsody or something where it's just crazy giant percussion like phil collins coming in the air tonight i i really want that song to work acapella but i've never heard it work well because mm-hmm. of the percussion so those are things I listen for, and and, and that's, I think, where you got to start with everything. I think unless you're planning to, like, revamp a song, as you listen through something, if if there's not the, like, pre the predilection or, like, certain things that will transfer well, you kind of have an uphill battle. So I think, um, Greg, what are some of the songs that you've chosen to arrange over the past couple of years in your acapella career? Um, well, one of the arrangements, which I'm sure we'll get into a bit, is Fly Me to the Moon. Yeah. And... I think one of the reasons why that song works pretty well for acapella and it could work in several different styles of acapella mm-hmm. um, is that the instrumentation isn't too complicated. Yeah. And it's it's not as if there is a specific instrument in the background that's really prominent. So you ha- kind of have more flexibility in how you want to arrange it. And I think with songs that say have a prominent guitar solo or a saxophone solo, um, they're yeah. sort of prominent parts of the song, and the song would change a great deal if you were to omit them from an acapella arrangement. Yeah. And songs with a more simple, in, with more simple instrumentation, give you a little more flexibility in how you want to revamp the song, yeah. how you want to put it into acapella. And I think that's true for several songs that I've done, where. Um, Basically, there isn't one prominent instrumental part that just cannot be left out. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about something like a really intricate guitar solo, that can be difficult to pull off vocally, especially, you know, if you're trying to get an entire section of an acapella group to do it. Or if it's a solo, you need like, you need to have someone who has the exact right voice for it. Songs that have that, those aren't songs you arrange when you don't, um know exactly all right. your voices when it dominates the piece and everyone's like oh the guitar solo's coming up you can't like there'll be a big letdown if that's not done exactly right right and i think you know you mentioned this a bit um you're talking about how honeybee really lends itself to an acapella arrangement yeah. i think that if there are already if there's already vocal harmony in a song yeah. that's also a good indicator because those are already voices and yeah. it's pretty easy to you include them into an arrangement right yeah. if you have 
enough parts to cover um, those sort of background harmonies. Yeah, I agree. And I think, right. And what I tend to go for, and this might be where some people will go in a different direction, I tend to look for songs that have um, pretty intricate harmony. You know, I really like the chords present in the song because then, um, especially if I'm arranging for a larger group, um, I can focus on sort of how I want to voice those chords and how I want to present them. Yeah. It can really be about the harmony as well as, you know, individual lines. Yeah. And I know some people arrange in terms of, you know, they want to think about the individual parts and then figure out how to put them together. But I often think more in terms of chords and mm -hmm. then from there, how I make the individual lines, you know, stand out a little yeah, bit more. And I think, uh, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. How I always do it when I'm arranging something is even if it's just for the beginning, I'll just write out like uh, I do a Roman numeral analysis and just have those below, um, you know, the measures. And then I'll say, okay, well, can we change something here? And I think the idea of kind of looking at it from a chordal, maybe bigger picture perspective is really good. Cause that's kind of the macro stuff. Cause I think it is easier to get the bigger picture and then change things up um, and make other parts more interesting via the rhythm uh, than trying to change up the big picture after you've already done the smaller picture. That's mm -hmm. it's it's harder to use smart smaller building blocks for that kind of stuff than it is uh, larger, I would say. And let's Greg, let's take a quick listen, just you know, where um, to your version of "Fly Me to the Moon." This is actually all Greg singing right here. This is a really great arrangement. You'll hear the jazzy stuff that Greg's talking about. So let's just listen to that right. really quick. And it's. Just as a side note, it's yeah. the uh, first half of the arrangement. Yeah, <laughs> yes, just the first half of the arrangement. So let's listen to that real quick. Fly me to the moon And let me play among the stars Won't you let me see what spring is like On Jupiter and Mars And let me say fly me to the moon that doing that arrangement i think that is possibly the hardest at least for me individual line i've ever had to learn it gets pretty crazy but that's that's kind of the joy of doing these more complex arrangements they can become these great musical challenges that aren't just you, you know i kind of well this arrangement in particular would probably be above the um the skill level of maybe a high school group or something it is a great way to grow your musical skills. I learned a lot more and pushed myself a lot more in learning this piece um, with to issues of tonal memory and, you know, dissonance and stuff. And it made me grow as a musician. I think, uh, Greg, that's a, that's, that's a thing I like about your arrangements. And I think that's a thing uh, I would encourage more people to do is don't just keep all the chords the same and recognize that they can also just be, you know, they can be learning opportunities as well. Right. And another thing I tried to do with that arrangement in particular is, um, kind of make every part important yeah. because there are a lot of very colorful chords in that. And that's because it's rare in that arrangement that I have notes doubled. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to do as much as I can with five voices in and that then particular every voice arrangement. feels important, which is really mm-hmm. nice. Rather than, and not that this is a bad thing, but you know, rather than just being in the background the whole time, um, on which works for other pieces. But you know, again, I think this speaks to uh, flying into the moon because the instrumentation isn't so crazy. You can these kind of harmonies do work really well in it, and they're easy to put in essentially because it's just you know this is all fairly homophonic, um, which. I think is a better thing when you're doing these crazy jazz things it also might get too messy. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, this is another example of an arrangement where I was thinking more about the chords necessarily than the individual lines, because the individual lines are tough to just sight read and sing through. Yeah. Um, and it's even harder to um, sing those individual parts with other people singing the other parts. And so the focus is basically um, on the chords themselves. Yeah. And, Basically, the individual lines exist to sort of satisfy the fullness of all the chords. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's very different than what, at least on like, you know, most college campuses, a lot of people are used to hearing in a standard acapella performance. And I remember when we performed this, I don't know if we got every single note right or if it all was like 100%, but I know it was received well because we, uh, and I hope to do this arrangement again someday, hopefully soon. I think... It, it was just a different flavor for people to hear this kind of arrangement where it's, it is more complex than the standard uh, one, four, five or one, five, six, four, one kind of stuff. And I think this stuff, um, these arrangements are in addition to what I already said of being really educational can be really satisfying for the audience in a way they don't realize. Um, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of this one. And, you know, I think oh, another thing I wanted to ask you about this one, Greg, cause I, uh, I never really thought about this is you added, um, extra words into it to make it kind of work better can you talk about that are you talking specifically about the baseline yeah it it is it is the baseline that pretty much does it right right yeah um well it was a way of sort of breaking up the homophonic nature of it because a lot of it is very homophonic as you said and instead of just holding out the chords um for example in the word stars um I could have, could have just had yeah I could have just had all five parts hold that note out but the baseline sort of kept the rhythm going kept yeah. kept the momentum there and I just came up with you know little lead-ins that would work um, well for the words sort of just a way to kind of keep the momentum going in that yeah, song because I think we've all been in those situations where. We're all holding long notes. We, we've been doing some fast or cool, crazy rhythms, and we're holding the notes for a long time. And then we try and get back into it, and we're like, oh, wait, what's what's the beat again? Um, and I think I think that's a really smart way of not just keeping the rhythm going for, you know, so the audience hears something interesting, but for the singers, so they don't lose track of how everything lines up rhythmically in the next section after they get out of the long notes. Right. Boom. Yeah. On this arrangement, Greg, you chose the... Uh, melody to be you know super high up in falsetto an octave above the original as i recall and why um is that because it came out the easiest that way because being the top note then it kind of is supported by the harmonies and you get to hear all of them and it doesn't get lost in the if it was in like let's say the second tenor um there are a couple of reasons i decided to um put it up i yeah. think it's a seventh above where the originally was. The original seven, song yeah. is in A minor. I put oh, this one in G minor. Okay. Um, first of all, it's a descending melody, and ah. um, it would and it's you know originally in kind of a baritone range, mm-hmm. and I feel like especially down the octave, it could end up clashing with the bass part. 
yeah. at a, in a few places. And um, harmonically, I feel like the chords worked out better with the harmony underneath the melody. Yeah. Um, I probably could have made it work as well if um, the harmony parts were above the melody, but it would have taken... I would have had to revoice all the parts if I were to do it that way. Yeah, and then also the whoever sings the melody will have to sing it kind of differently. I'm, and I'm just not talking about just in terms of register, but in terms of like volume and how that comes across. I feel like you'd they definitely have to sing out more. So then it'd be clear like, hey guys, look, this is the actual this is the melody. So I think I think it is you know we talk we've been talking about a lot about harmony and chords and stuff, and I think range is a really important part of that. Um, for people to remember when they're considering maybe taking or trying to dive into these kind of crazy arrangements. Cause it is really hard for the melody to get lost. And I've listened to even just more standard acapella pieces where the harmony is really thick. And I'm like, wait, where'd the melody go? Cause it's like the second lowest or the second highest part. And it gets lost in these mm-hmm. giant chords. So I think that's a really smart way of um, it. Well, it also in, in, in addition to making it come out more, I feel like, having it up higher contributes to the kind of light uh light not almost yeah the light feeling of this arrangement and the kind of laid back still difficult but it it sets the tone not just the vocal tone but it sets a an emotional tone for it as well i think which i think is a really hard thing to do in some arrangements right and there's a reason why not just not capella just inquires as well you know the highest part is often the melody simply because it comes out more naturally yeah, yeah. and then Later on in the arrangement in the part that we didn't hear, I do move the melody around a little bit in sort of the third section. But yeah. what I had to do in that case is change the other parts to ooh so that the melody could come out exactly. a bit more. And, you know, give specifically right in the uh, first tenor and second tenor part to sing, you know, much quieter dynamic so that yeah. the melody could come out more when it's in one of the lower parts. And I think that's another way of the thing I always try to come back to in arranging is uh, keeping it fresh. And I think that's a really fun way of, again, breaking the standard acapella mold of there being, you know, bass and the SAT are all doing harmonies, uh, beatbox, and then a solo up front. And the solo is like the star. And it also, um, you know, changes up the feel of the original in that it's in all these different ranges because, you know, there's the high falsetto and then I know the bass has a certain part. I remember I'd had a measure and a half or two measures of just a little line. And I think it, uh, and this is something I talk about on another episode about arranging. It also kind of keeps everyone on their feet and gives them a little moment to shine. I think, I think that's really fun when arrangements break that kind of mold. And then you, and then it goes back to transitions very nicely back into the highest part, having the melody, but it, um, I think that's just a smart use of voicing, essentially, in recognizing, okay, you know, it's going to be kind of harder to hear the second baritone here, so bring everything else down just a little bit, so that's as clear as it can be. Right, yeah. And then you're sort of alluding to this in what you said. Um, Often what you want to try and do with a lot of your arrangements is to, you know, move the melody around, move certain parts around to a certain Mm -hmm. extent. Um, because it can be more interesting when it's not the case that, you know, each part in an arrangement just correlates to an instrument in the original. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's sort of more the case that the the new parts in the acapella arrangement are their own thing. They're not just basically yeah. a transcription of a pre-existing part. Yep. I remember because I remember we were talking about this once. I saw a uh i think it was a post on a group or a presentation or something where it's just like okay have the basses do the baseline which i'm like okay yeah that makes sense have the tenors do like the lower guitar part have the altos do like ooze or whatever just to set the chords or correspond to like 
a piano playing in the background, have the sopranos do like a high electric guitar. And then to me, that's not arranging. That's just that's just dictation. If I had a version, if I had like the sheet music for an original instrumentation and I just took I said, OK, the sopranos are always going to do this like that's that's boring. It, it's just not exciting. And I don't think uh, one, it's not exciting for them. And I don't think um, that kind of overall rule of this always translates to this should be I don't think that should be a hard and fast rule that you always uh, follow because then it doesn't it might not feel natural. It might feel better in one area. Uh, you know, it might make more sense to throw something around or it might make sense to just ignore the instrumentation for a part or rewrite your own instrumentation for that works better for voices or whatnot. And I, I think the thing I always come back to is I'm not a huge fan of like super like these are the rules I always follow when doing an acapella arrangement. There are good things for certain kinds of songs, but I was I'm working on an arrangement of uh, Hurt by Johnny Cash, which is very different than when um, me and my friend Duncan did an arrangement of Light a Roman Candle with me by fun because they're completely different songs. And I'm realizing as I'm doing it that the stuff I like to do in arrangements, which is polyrhythm and throwing the melody around and um, like lots of thirds and harmonies and stuff, that stuff that I always love to do, that doesn't really work well in a song like Hurt because the tone's different, the feeling, instrumentation. So the thing I always come back to is don't, hold yourself down to too many rules um, because those don't always apply as easily as you think they will to multiple songs. Right. And I definitely agree with that. And I think that in almost every case, an arrangement is at least partially a composition. Oh, yeah. And in many arrangements, there are actually new parts that didn't even exist in the original or new, you know, or the chords are more complex than they were originally. Yeah, because I think that keeps it fresh for the audience. Right. And that's the thing about arranging and the reason why I say, you know, certain songs really lend themselves a cappella because there's so much you can do with them and you can go in so many different directions. Yeah. And there are some songs that I've arranged, like I did an arrangement of um, Jesse's Girl once. And there I kept the harmony a little more simple, Mm -hmm. basically triads three three note chords more power chords yeah because that that song is filled with power chords it's not super thick stuff and it'd be kind of weird if there was all these like unless you went full jazz and really jazzed it up like you know a group like postmodern jukebox or something those other chords might not fit quite as well in such an upbeat rock song right Um, unless you were to totally change the style and do it in more of a smooth jazz kind of style which i would love to do that that with a yeah and speaking of revamping songs, I thought a song that would be really interesting for us to listen to today is an arrangement of Brown Eyed Girl, but not the same. It, I'm pretty sure it's the same Brown Eyed Girl in both songs. I'm pretty sure they're still talking about the same girl. But um, it's the version by the Scattered Tones of Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl, where it is slowed down and made more of a ballad instead of this upbeat kind of uh, hip tune. So we're going to listen to the Scattered Tones version of Brown Eyed Girl, and we're going to be right back here on Tacapella. We've been talking with Greg Starr about arranging hey where did we go days when the rains came down in a hollow playing a new game laughing and a running yeah. skipping and a jumping Misty morning fog all our hearts was open in you my brown eyed girl 
my brown-eyed girl Whatever happened Tuesdays are so slow Going down to the old mine with the transistor radio Standing in the sunlight laughing Hide behind the rainbow's wall Slipping and a-sliding, yeah All along the waterfall with you My brown-eyed girl You're my brown-eyed girl Remember when we used to sing Sha la 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 Sha la 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 To find my way Now that I'm on my own Thought about it just the other day My, how you have grown I cast my memory back there, Lord Sometimes I'm overcome Thinking about making love in the green grass Behind the stadium with you My brown-eyed girl You're my brown-eyed girl Do you remember when we used to sing? Sha la 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 la
You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, where every instrument is portable. And welcome back to Acapella. Hey, always love that cheesy enough for you? That is plenty, just the right amount of cheese. Um, So... (laughs) Okay. Uh, we've, been talk- <laughs> we've been talking quite a bit about uh, today about, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about arranging here, but uh, a kind of fun way of arranging that, um, I don't know if, if it's talked about too much, is taking a song and completely revamping the genre. And I always like uh, listening to like Postmodern Jukebox, who are a really fun YouTube channel who do stuff like that. Um, and I, I think it's really fun to take an existing song and totally re- rework it into something new we just listened to the scatter tone sing brown eyed girl as more of a ballad rather than an upbeat song so greg what, are, what what do you think about the whole taking a song and making it like a completely different genre and a different feel i think when done right it can be brilliant yeah you know it can it can really reshape the way we think of songs and yeah. even you know kind of change the impact of the song itself. Yeah. Like one example I have, this isn't an acapella example, it's just an example sort of revamping a song. Um, I don't know if you've heard the song Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Neil, Neil Sadaka. Yeah. And the original arrangement is kind of upbeat and um, kind of doo in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's sort of meant to, it's not meant to be super, you know, desperate or anything like that. It's meant to be almost kind of cheerful in a way. And I think in the 70s, Neil Sadaka kind of revamped the song and made it into more of a ballad and, you know, sang it in more of a desperate way and totally changed the impact of the song itself. It was a totally oh. new song. You know, that might be the, the one I've the heard same. then, actually. An arrangement, uh, Greg, you and I did, we, well, not really an arrangement, but we dictated uh, the version of Hey Ya, which is mostly acapella with it's has a ukulele accompaniment underneath it but it's a it's uh the singer songwriter version by uh, obadiah parker very different from the original by outcast and i liked when timberman performed that version because it felt it it definitely it was meant for four to five voices and i felt like we were able to do that one way better than we would be able to do the original version by outcast and i think it's mm-hmm. it, it gives gave us a different uh, different emotional hook to it. We did it usually as like the second to last song. But if we had done the original, I would have made that like the closing because it's so, you know, it gets everyone up and dancing and stuff. So I think it is really cool when we get, you know, these opportunities to, especially because acapella is a place to, you know, take something and just completely make it your own and make it for your group. I think it's so fun when people take that risk and retool something in a different genre that works better for their group. I think that's just smart arranging. Right. And particularly um, the version of Hey All that we did, it's it's a very different song from the Outcast version. Oh, yeah. it's, it sounds in many ways much more depressing. It's very depressing. Because of you know, the texture of it. Yeah, because I listened to the lyrics and I was like, oh, this is like sad. Because you hear those sad lyrics, which I think is part of the genius of the original. And that does use the like sad lyrics kind of juxtaposed with an upbeat feel um, that, that creates this kind of interesting paradox and dichotomy. Uh, I, I really like that we just kind of had it straight as like, hey, this is kind of sad, but it it does get there is a there is still a um, kind of dramatic, still melodic part in the uh, hey, uh, and it even changes a lot of the notes in the original melody. And I think it gave us uh, it gave our concerts and our performances a really a really cool impact in doing that song. 
Right. And I'd also bring up another example of a song that Timmerman did, um, Ignition, where sometimes right. you can oh, yeah. sometimes um, you can totally change up a song to create some kind of a comical effect yeah. because it seems so unfitting, but it's so perfect in how it's unfitting yeah. because Ignition is <laughs> – not exactly a song you'd think would lend itself to barbershop. No. And yet... But I feel like that's the point performed... of it. Exactly, that is the point of it. And it's supposed to be kind of comical on that. You would never expect to hear those words sung by a barbershop quartet. Oh, gosh. And yet it's it's such... It's so hysterical simply because of sort of that juxtaposition of a barbershop group, which you often think is kind of squeaky clean, and a song like Ignition. Yeah, a specific version Greg's talking about is the version of a remix to Ignition, Um by R. Kelly, and it's performed by the ragtime gals of Jimmy Fallon, and they made it a barbershop version, and uh, Greg sat down and dictated it over winter break, and I saw this thing, and I was like, it it just had a kind of double meaning to it. It had, because I don't think groups should take themselves too seriously, and it was a really fun way for us to poke fun at ourselves, and I remember that was always a big hit when we performed that one, and you can take those songs and make them into something different for such a wide variety of emotional impact. Right. And I think that's something that, you know, I'll give a shout out here that Weird Al does a lot. He kind of (laughs) he kind of puts what might be kind of depressing songs into polkas as sort of a way of being comical. Yeah. And that's another thing you can do with sort of revamping a song. You can intentionally choose a style that seems unfitting just to sort of. Yeah. Mess make it people. seem particularly comical. If it's done right, it can be very effective. Yeah, and I think for me, when acapella groups do that, and especially when they do their own arrangements and take those songs and remake them, I think that for me, it's just kind of like a further, like this is very general, but like a progression or a deepening of the art that we're able to go to these places. We're not just sitting around and doing exactly what's on the radio and copying. We are innovating and we are expanding. We are using our individual musical, compositional, arranging uh, talents to and you know spreading that to the community i love that i think it shows um i think we're going to see more of that um personally and i think it just creates a more interesting set list it gives you another added um dimension i think it gives another acapella itself another dimension of of depth exactly boom so taking a step back for a second we're talking about big picture changing songs uh greg and i have done uh speaking of hey yacht you know we did uh, a lot of, you know, that was not a song, a version we arranged. It was originally, you know, originally by Outkast and Obadiah Parker covered it. And then we dictated the kind of acapella-esque version by the Blanks. And dictation, I feel like, is the really unglamorous part of arranging that people don't talk about too much because it's just a big slog of work. It's something I know I struggle with. It's it's really tricky. So, Greg, uh, you know, Greg and I have many memories of to, like, 11 or 12 at night in the music building and just listening to this arrangement, trying to get all the chords and all the little intricacies of this arrangement. So Greg, what's your take on dictation? Cause that's, cause that is a big part. Even if you don't do everything the exact same way in an acapella arrangement, you kind of got to start there. Well, I think, you know, that's certainly an aspect of arranging that gives it at times some difficulty at times, some frustration that people who don't arrange don't necessarily recognize when they yeah. think that arranging is always you know, pretty easy to do yeah. because especially with um, notation software like Finale, if you don't have an input device like a keyboard you can oh input God. into your computer, yeah. it can take a very long time to dictate melodies even if you're hearing them perfectly. Yep. And sometimes if a certain part has a really intricate rhythm, you need to hear it a few times to really get it mm-hmm. and make sure that you're um, dictating it correctly. Yeah. 
And then some parts are easier to hear than others. For example, you, you make it the melody pretty easily. There might be, you know, a pretty recognizable bass part. But if you want to, if there's a certain riff in a song that you want to dictate and it's not particularly prominent, it's kind of in the background, that yeah. can also be pretty difficult to hear precisely. And then, of course, later on, you might want decide you want to change up a few things and then you have to decide how you want to change it. Yeah, I remember, you know, the stuff that I find is always the hardest to get are the inner voices. You know, I remember we had a lot of, I don't want to say difficulty, but it was a big challenge for us in when we're dictating, when we are dictating, hey, yeah, um, to get like the baritone part in there. It's it just how the song was mixed. That's, you know, that's really hard to hear. It, it contributes to the chords and you can tell it's there, but to sit down and be like, okay, what's it exactly doing? And that's a, a feature of a lot of songs and just how they're mixed. The inner voices are really toned back. So it's that that's a big difficulty in that you're not just fighting like, okay, trying to hear like exactly what the notes are but it, you're trying to fight through like the actual mixing and the actual like electronic um, manipulation of the song to hear through what they don't really want what the producers didn't really want to be a prominent part right especially if you're trying to you know listen for not just individual lines but chords as well yeah. there might you know there might be some pretty intric intricate chords and in songs and it might be difficult to recognize you know all of the notes in a particular chord, yeah. especially if it's mixed in a way that certain notes come out more than others. Yeah. And something that I do sometimes is if I really, really can't, I mean, it's kind of my last stitch thing or uh, a kind of a stepping stone. If I really can't hear what an individual part is doing, you can make educated guesses that um, will probably come pretty close if you have a good, if you know what the larger chord is and just see how, okay, how does this fit into that structure? Right. And sometimes you make educated guesses that aren't exactly right, but yep. it might be the case that you like kind of your new creation a bit better because yeah. I've, I've had cases where I've heard a chord progression of a song and um, I thought, well, wait, you know, that's, you know, a four chord. What if I change it to like a, a two chord that's a minor seven? Yeah. And I thought, well, that gives it a bit more color. Maybe I'll go with that. And that's sort of yeah. the process of changing, you know, dictation into, you know, part composition. Yeah. Remodify certain things to fit your specific arrangement. Yeah. And I think that's something people shouldn't be afraid of. I think it's really easy. Uh, like the very, it wasn't even arrangement. Like first thing I worked on with my, uh, one of my old friends was actually my Puget Sound roommate. Fun fact, we were working on, we were trying to arrange something. And like all we did, we just like, we're trying to dictate every little thing. And I look back on that and I think I have the, I think I still have the sheet music. I mean, I look at that, I'm like, that's not even an arrangement. That's just a dictation. And I think people need to not be so worried about like, okay, am I doing this exactly right? Am I getting every little thing? Because if the audience doesn't hear every single thing, like, okay, if you're struggling to hear every little thing in the uh, original recording, the audience probably like, you know, maybe non-music educated audience probably really doesn't hear it. And if you want to change something up that works better in the song, like, I feel like, don't always treat the original recording as the Bible that you have to go off of. It's it's it can be really fun, like we said about changing it up, um, and changing songs up completely. And even you can even just go a little bit and just like Greg said, just change chords. I did that. We did that. Nah, when we worked on an arrangement of Shaboom, we were uh, we were rearranging the version by uh, Deke Sharon and Ann Raw. And we were just like, okay, we'll do this chord. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. What if we made it more interesting and we changed it? Like we just had this guy stay on the same note. And then it creates like a, a minor seven chord that works better and creates a little more flavor. And it was a very clear, 
a better decision. I think it enriched the arrangement because we didn't try and treat the original like a, the definitive Bible of how to arrange, essentially. Right. And one example I can give, this is another song that we did in Timberman, is my arrangement of I'll Make a Man Out of You from Mulan. Yeah. Um, in the chorus, the, there are there's sort of a background part that's sung, um, and it's the same thing three times in a row. And I decided instead of just having you know that part repeat itself three times, I decided to sort of change up the melody a little bit. I had the, the first time that part is sung, it's the same as the original, but then yeah. I changed it up a bit and sort of have the chords sort of grow in a sense, where yeah. I start out all the background parts in the same note, and then it sort of blossoms out into yeah. three parts and then eventually four and the melody has changed up a little bit just because i want to i want the background parts to kind of expand a bit yeah and i think that's just another way of not trying to follow a set formula and stuff that works better while that kind of repetitive nature of the original would work probably well in an instrumentation in the original version where it's backed by that instrumentation it's you got to kind of make the most of what you have with voices because it's way harder to do it with voices because we're not as loud we don't have as many timbres available to us so i think that's a smart decision of okay i can't necessarily make all these different sounds with the five voices i have how can i uh rework the original to still get that same feeling across but in a different way mm -hmm. and another thing to consider when you're arranging a song from a movie is that oh, yeah. the other thing that movies have is that they have visual action going yeah. on and so sometimes when you're you know arranging that song for acapella you want to add in you know some more intricate rhythms just to keep it more interesting because often with songs and movies they might have long held out chords because yeah. there's you know a visual action on screen and when yep. you don't have that for a musical arrangement you might want to sort of add in something a little more interesting yeah. to basically make the arrangement itself a bit more interesting yeah is there a part in, uh, in mulan that you're specifically referring to basically um at the end of any of the verses they're often i've heard arrangements of the song where they're just long held chords at the end and sort of the action just kind of trails oh, off a bit yeah. then they start the next verse and i tried to at least add in okay, something yeah, 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 as yeah. sort of fill in yeah so, so there's some kind of like just just adding in a transition because it works better yeah mm -hmm. like you said when there's something a different in, in a different medium a visual medium to keep the audience's attention so then it kind of takes them away from the song for the sec and then the song and the um, visual stuff line back up. And so that the visual acts, the visual thing acts as the transition rather than the music. So, I mean, that's the, that's a perfect, perfect example of reworking the original to make sense for an arrangement. Cause I think, yeah, it would have been really boring. had we just kind of like in the key change part where we're just, if we just held, ah, uh, ah, uh, but by doing, I believe you had like a cool syncopated thing on a, um, uh, kind of clustery that worked really well for that mm -hmm. and then um the lead into the part where um sort of the different characters have their own yeah. line i did add in sort of a little fill-in part for the background parts to sing yeah and i tried to make it you know harmonically and rhythmically act as something that could lead into the next section yeah something that could theoretically in the original composition works in that same style essentially you kind of like you said you're composing at, at, at that point you are pretty mm -hmm. much composing with like a rough idea of your a framework set by someone else but you're still creating new material that works for it exactly yeah and i think people again just don't be afraid to do that because it's really important to do that because you can't just 
especially if it's a musical and there's like a dance number going on and you don't want to have the dancing part then <laughs> don't just do the interlude for while the dancing's supposed to happen because it's going to draw attention to the fact that like one you're not dancing or two that that's not the right that's just not the way to transition something into a different medium like that Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with long-held notes, there are a lot of different ways in which you can make those more interesting. Yeah. You can change the dynamics. You can, you know, have that be a section where there are staggered entrances. There are a lot of different tools at your disposal. Yeah, I remember at one point in the in the version of um, I'll Make a Man, you've been talking about, like, I think there's a part where we're, like, coming in to um, – we're holding out long chords, but instead uh, we had the uh, bass part start doing this, like, dum da dum 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 This is just something like that just to add a little bit more driving mm -hmm. force as we got to a part that was pretty significant, um, not just in the song, but in the in the movie itself. Um, so I thought, I thought that worked really well when, again – you're changing things up to serve the overall purpose of the song, not just the song. Essentially, you got to think bigger picture. And what is the impact of this music in the in the movie or in just in even if it's not a movie or a musical or whatever? What is the original impact of this? And how can I get that same feeling across our same uh, our vocal director, Greg, um, from uh, from undergrad, our choir director? I talked with him about this once and he showed me I think it was a version of Ghost Train or something or some song like that where there was this like pretty not complex but it was a type of vocal per it was a type of percussion that would not have really worked vocally or would have been too distracting uh but to get the same feeling across they just like snapped on beat one of every measure just to kind of get this like light groove going and it got the same effect across so i think people need to think more in terms when they're arranging think more in terms of impact and effect than okay what am i can i exactly replicate what's happening in the original because with voices you cannot exactly replicate everything that's going on in the original because that's voices aren't instruments big big reveal folks so i think mm -hmm. i think that's important to remember yeah i think the most important thing about arranging in general is just you know being creative and yeah. coming up with you know new ways to present a song and if you want to you know make it pretty similar to the original that's fine as well and that but works for some songs really right. really well Right. But also, if you want to go in a totally new direction, you know, you are free to do that with yeah. an arrangement and many arrangements that do that work very well and help people see a song in a totally new way. Yeah. I remember I heard um, an arrangement of Stacy's Mom by an acapella group and it was, uh, you know, I, that song's so much fun. It's really dumb and stupid, but it's really cute. And it's I'm and they didn't change a thing about it. And I'm glad I heard that. It was it was just a fun way of doing it. We're working on a version of Swallowed in the Sea by Coldplay right now, and it is uh, still very similar to the original, um, but because we don't have like a giant synthesizer and because we don't have a um, like a you know a, a full on percussion set, we have a great beatboxer. But uh, there's a part where uh, the percussion comes in in like the second verse or whatever to you know as is kind of formulaic for a lot of songs. And in addition to the percussion coming in and the arrangement we're using by uh, Harrison Hinchy. Um, it's like the uh, vocal parts become more syncopated and they kind of, they stop doing just oohs and doos and stuff and they start um, repeating, they're doing like ohs and ahs and they start repeating uh, some of the words that are being said and start, are syncopated and that just keeps the energy going essentially in a way that they don't have to do in the original because they have the power of instruments. Right, that's, that is a good example. Yeah. So, boom, let's take one more quick break here, and we're actually, let's listen to that arrangement. This is Swallowed in the Sea by Crossman Acapella, arranged by Harrison Hinchy, who I hope will be on the show soon. I've been talking to him about that, and we're going to be right back here on Tacapella. You cut me down a tree 
and brought it back to me And that's what made me see where I was going wrong You put me on a shelf and kept me for yourself I can only blame myself, you can only blame me And I could write a song a hundred miles long Well, that's where I belong, and you belong with me And I could write it down, I spread it all around Be lost and then get found, swallowed in the sea You put me on a line and hung me out to dry And darling, that's when I decide to go to sea You cut me down to size and opened up my eyes Made me realize what I could not see And I could write a book Say that shock the world and that it took It took it back from me And I could write it down Or spread it all around Get lost and then get found And you'll come back to me Not swallowed in the sea The streets you walk, the streets you walk, the streets you walk, the streets Where I belong And you belong with me Not swallowed in the sea yeah, you belong with me Not swallowed in the sea yeah, you belong with me Not swallowed in the sea And welcome back to Talk Appella. I'm John Lampus. I've been talking with my good buddy Greg Starr today about arranging we just listened to the saint olaf crossman perform swallowed in the sea originally by coldplay and a reason i really like this arrangement is because especially at the very beginning it makes a lot of use of uh like vocal space and vocal tools as if as weird of sayings as they are in um that it starts with like a hum 
and it goes to an ooh, then goes to an ah, and these are all very like minute changes you would think. You know, people, a lot of people think oohs and hums are very interchangeable, but they use all these little changes to really convey the changing mood of the piece and the changing um, momentum, essentially. And one thing that I think a lot of people uh, almost think about too little when they're doing arranging is what are the syllables you're singing on? And because I've seen arrangements where it, oh, this looks like a great arrangement. There's lots of cool counterpoint, overlapping melodies, counter melodies, cool polyrhythm, all that. But there's no background words. It's just notes. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. Like, that's, if I, if I see an arrangement and there's no words for the background parts, it's not done. Because that is a huge, huge part of it. Greg, what do you think about that? Well, one of the things about acapella is that, of course, instead of using a variety of different instruments, the different timbres, it's all voices. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can still do a great deal with voices and um, changing around the syllables that you sing on really does change the timbre of um, the song itself. And it's it can be a really strong effect in that way. Yeah. And I I definitely agree with what you said about um, needing to have some words in the background parts. And I think that um, what can be really effective is if the background parts are on do's or ba's for a good amount of the song, you choose specific words you want the background parts to sing because that will draw attention to those words Mm -hmm. and kind of make them stand out more. If the background parts are on words the entire time, then you have to rely on something else to bring certain words out rather than just the change in texture or what specific syllables the background parts are singing. And I think you can – yeah, you can use – those specific words as a way of bringing them out yep i remember on the arrangement that we dissected on the first arranging episode here light a roman candle with me that i did with um duncan toomey uh he had this idea when we were doing it uh, there's a part where the soloist says uh and we aim and ignite and duncan's like okay we should have everyone say aim and ignite and what i realized later is that aim and ignite is the name of the album that's that song is on so it made a lot of sense to draw attention to that and where besides just musical sense like hey this is a cool moment and when i listen to it now listen to that arrangement it's really cool because i hear that i'm like hey that's the album title it really it's almost, there's almost a meta-ness a meta quality to it and you know we just heard on the swallowed in the sea arrangement there are plenty of times where they all sing the same words together and again it draws a emo- it makes an emotional impact it shows it's it's again like working with feelings and working with the impact that the song is making rather than just what uh, what you're trying to do off of the page, essentially. And I think, you know, a lot of people, I saw a post on the, uh, somewhere, I can't remember what it was on, but basically it was, someone was saying, you know, you should always have people just use uh, the words. You should never have people use like do's or do's or gyms or whatever. And I'm like, well, I, and I just think that is so limiting because if you have, if you're having background parts, always do the words, you're totally limiting, limiting yourself in terms of texture and timbre, like make use of all the different kind of words. I mean, I've heard groups do like, mm, like hum on an NG and like, that's a different timbre. And I think people need to, uh, rangers need to make use of all the, uh, things the human voice can do and just limiting, limiting them just to the words. Uh, well, I kind of get the emotional sentiment of that. It's like taking what Greg just said about having you know, all of us do the words at once. It's kind of taking that. And if you do it the whole song, then it's just not creative. Um, it's like taking that thing to the extreme. So I think there's a really, I think there's a really good balance doing, you know, do does or whatever um, and using them intentionally, but then also making use of the words to really break out of that and really highlight the important stuff. Cause I think it's another way you can not flow, but create an arc essentially to your piece, I think is the way of putting it, to your arrangement. 
Right. And you do definitely want to be intentional in the uh, syllables that you choose. For example, the syllable ba, which is pretty common, is, you know, almost kind of brassy and that really kind of comes out a lot, whereas a do is a little more subdued. Yeah. Or like a loo or like I've even heard voo, which is really like low key. Right. And you can get really creative with, you know, the syllables you use, especially if you want to imitate an instrument in a certain way. Yeah. Like if you want to imitate, say, an electric guitar, I think in one of my arrangements, I used uh, the syllable junga. Oh, yeah. The j is really uh, mm-hmm. is a really aggressive one, I think is really good. And there's also like, you know, scatting. I've heard, I know mm-hmm. uh, in the arrangement of uh, Superman by the Blanks uh, for the electric guitar, he, the guy just scats the whole time. And it's, it's a cool kind of middle ground between trying really hard to like you know, it'd be a little weird, I think, if you tried to really go full electric guitar because the guy's a very whimsical voice, Sam Lloyd. Uh, and, you know, I think that is you, when, when trying to choose these things and choose what syllables, you got to think about the group itself. You can't just um, and it's I've definitely done arrangements where I'm not arranging for anything in particular. I've done arrangements where like I really want a certain group to do it. Um, but I think it's it's always better when you know exactly who you're who you are arranging for it's it's super fun it just i i know when i've done arrangements and great when greg's done arrangements we're like okay we know this person can sing this low or hey this person has a really good falsetto and we can make use of it right here stuff like that so okay, what do you think about arranging for a group you have in mind because i think that is just huge and people need to consider that more well the benefit of doing that is when you know the singers you're arranging for you have a better idea of what specific ranges are going to work for your um, arrangement. And also, if you know sort of, you know, the abilities of your group, if you've got a relatively young group that's just starting out, you might not want to do anything that's extremely difficult harmonically and rhythmically because, you know, you got to... They got to get their footing. um, Yeah, and you've got to choose arrangements that are going to work for your group. And it's better to um, perform a really easy song quite well than to really struggle with a difficult arrangement. Yeah. I think, I think that is really, really important. Cause I know I've been in groups where it was all music majors and I've been in groups where, you know, I'm one of two music majors or I'm the only music major. And I, I feel like people shouldn't be worried about like, Oh man, they're not going to like us if we don't do an impressive enough arrangement. Like they're going to like it if it's a good musical performance. And yes, if, Maybe if it's like a really cool, crazy arrangement that you can do really well, they'll, maybe they'll like it more. But for people who might just be starting out, don't overlook that and don't think that you need to change the game your first time out. You don't need to upend the coffee table, as they say um, over at Nintendo. Uh, so I think I think that's important to remember. And I think it's a really good point, Greg. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think there should be this stigmatism that some people have, you know, we have to show off with a really difficult number Yeah, because even professional musicians sometimes perform quote unquote easy songs Yeah, and easy songs can be very effective and they can, you know, they can sound great and, you know, audiences can love them Yeah, and they can, it can draw some people into music. So if you do an easy song really well, that that's great. There's no shame in that. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with trying to with giving yourself something easy to make it a little easier on yourselves for like the rehearsal process. And the it might also be something that the audience might relate to a little bit easier too. So having that range in your set list is, is really important, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Cool. So Greg, I think that's all the time we have today. Thanks so much for coming on the show again. It's been great having you here. I love talking about this stuff. Well, thanks for having me on the show. And I also really enjoy talking about this stuff. Absolutely. This is, I think this is our third arranging episode and we're going to have many more because this stuff is important. Arranging is the backbone 
of acapella. So it's something I think everyone should always be constantly exposing themselves to different ways of doing it, different styles and different perspectives and different songs, different genres, everything. And we tried to cover a lot of that um, here today. So Greg, thanks again for coming on. Everyone, if you want to get a hold of us at Acaville, you can tweet me at John Lampus or, but more importantly, tweet us at Acaville Radio on Twitter. So Greg, if people want to like get a hold of you and see what you're about and maybe commission you to arrange something for them or just get a beer with you how could they do that um well the easiest way to contact me is through my email address which is um g-a-s-t-a-r-r at seattleschools.org and feel feel free to hit me up if you are interested possibly interested in one of my arrangements or um, just want to talk to me about acapella i'd be happy to talk yeah everyone thanks for listening today greg thanks so much for coming on this has been another fun episode of Tacapella, our third arranging episode we're gonna have many more You've been listening to Tacapella on Acaville Radio, and for everything Acapella, stay tuned.